So, Dre, true or false, Chicago deep dish is superior to New York-style thin slice? False. False. 100% false. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. I'm not here for lasagna unless I specifically ask for it. Hi, guys. Welcome to episode 465 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And uh, yes, as RJ alluded to, I am back on British soil. Um, yeah, it was an amazing time in, in, in America, I must say. I'm happy um, for you, man. Uh, it, it was beautiful. Um, so you're convinced getting, that we're not as crazy as the craziest of our, of our citizens have made us out to be? RJ, I'm British. Fair point. I just thought I'd, you know, I'd set the stage for you here. It's like, I can't really say shit as a British person. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, oh, uh, <clears throat> oh, I hear you. I hear you, buddy. Away. How was it? <laughs> it was wonderful. It was, um, you know, the weather was perfect. You know, it was warm, but it wasn't like stupidly warm you know it was a dry heat so it wasn't fumid so my jamaican ass didn't get extremely pasty um yeah the the weather was great like i said the people were all very nice very kind seemed to be a weird thing about my accent people seemed to really enjoy that for some reason and so that was quite funny um so that was really cool got to do new york new york was uh hectic to say the least um and we actually missed our train back home because we couldn't navigate through the blocks properly which was uh, a bit of both of our fault really um have, it, have and- i told you my Times square story on the pod no go for it uh so me and my partner went to Times square on christmas uh, a few years ago, and like by the time we drove in from Connecticut to New York City, I was like, "Man, I've got to use the restroom." But there's one problem: New York City uh, businesses do not typically have public restrooms lining Times Square. So I stopped in the Seven Eleven. I'm thinking they got one, but like no dice. So as I am doing the pee pee dance in the middle of Times Square <laughs> when it's frigid cold in the middle of Christmas, I'm just like. I guess we'll go into Penn Station. And it turns out that Penn Station, the uh, the train station underneath Madison Square Garden, is the one public restroom inside Times Square. That it? That's the only one? Yeah, it's the, it's the only one. <laughs> wow. Like, that is, uh, that is alarming, considering there was one in the McDonald's I was staying at. But, um... <laughs> Always go for the McDonald's, RJ. How many times have I got to tell you this? <laughs> you know, you're right. You're right. I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind for next time. But yes, uh, how'd you enjoy New York City? Did you enjoy a slice of Newark style cheesecake? I didn't have cheesecake, but I did get Joe's Pizza, the the the, the famous Joe's Pizza from the Spider Man movies and every celebrity endorsement you can think of. God, it was beautiful. Oh. It pisses on everything British-wise in terms of pizza. That is a proper New York slice. The fold, the crunch into the crust, the cheese and sauce ratio. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, I need to get up some of that. It it, it did things to me. I was half tempted to get back in the queue so I could spend the 30 bucks to bring a whole pie back to the hotel room. Um, And yeah, the hotel... 
I was staying like literally a five minute walk from the Empire State Building, the Hilton that's in the it's just outside Times Square. And like it was the twenty second floor and my hotel room had a balcony in it. One, the hotel had 39, which is terrifying to me because uh, I'm also scared of heights, which doesn't exactly help. Mm. And then second of all, you can see the Empire State Building and it is in the clouds. That is how tall that building is. Like it's it's like King Kong without the gorilla. It's uh, it's 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 crazy um, how how high up you are without even realizing how high up you are it is uh, terrifying. But uh that was fun. Doing Philadelphia was fun. You did Philly to- too. I'm like, damn, this is bringing back. This is coming in like cities that have given you bad Super Bowl memories in recent years. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I, I, I gave the Lincoln Financial Field the finger as I parked up outside it. <laughs> it would be respect. Yeah, like I'm not here for Big Dick Nick. Um, I, I have memories. I'm I'm not here for the Philly special. Um, but I did go to the Philly's uh, gift shop across the road, and my very lovely girlfriend Gloria did uh, buy me a Bryce Harper Cooperstown jersey as a birthday present. So thank you, Gloria. Um, it's Is it like bu- the '80s jersey that they would wear sometimes during like this last playoff run. Like yeah, the, it's, the, like it's, the it's, it's the blue one. Oh yeah. man, that's that's a division rival, and even I'm like. That looks so good. It's a beautiful jersey. It really is. It's a fine addition to my collection. Um, and she also got me a Patriots jersey, the red throwback one with my name on the back. It's it's beautiful. Uh, so I was abs- I was absolutely spoilt rotten. So uh, Gloria, I know you're listening to this. Thank you. Um, so she listens to every show. So um, big shout out to her. Um, she, I was looked after. I was spoiled rotten for my birthday because it was. This was also a big reason why I was up. That I turned thirty one this past Thursday. So um, thanks to everyone who sent all their birthday wishes in. I am yes, I am now thirty one, which is a terrifying thought for all involved. Um, but yeah, thank you for all the kind words, all the support, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good. I miss it very much already. I'll certainly be heading back over there probably sometime during the off season. Um, hopefully, we can make, make it more of a habit. But uh, for now, it was beautiful. Now, just a quick update, podcast wise, on what's going on here right now. Now, we would have been talking about MotoGP um, at Austria this weekend, but we insist on having Cam on for biking shows and. Sadly, Cam's internet's a bit patchy at the moment, so we're going to kick that to next week. Also, we're both a little bit below 100%. I'm battling a chesty cough. Um, It doesn't sound like it. We ruled out COVID, by the way. Thank God it wasn't COVID. We know it's back on the surge, despite everybody's best attempts to convince everybody that this is not happening again. But oh, yeah. it's it's not it's not COVID this time. Thank goodness for that. Thank goodness it's not COVID. Yeah, it's just I I, I tend to get one of these a year. I, my my chest is generally quite weak, annoyingly. Um, like luckily I think I'm through the worst. I think it's I think it might be more allergy related. Funnily enough, but oh same here. Um, but yeah, like that's a rough one, and RJ's battling an ear infection right now. But we're gonna get I'm through over it. I think I'm over it, but like they misdiagnosed it, so oh, I, it, there's no pain. But uh, I'm playing the role of the late comedian Dave Chappelle as the rapper Fisticuff, who cannot hear out of one of his ears. He's <laughs> not that well. Uh, again, very sad that he passed away in that plane accident after the second season, never to do anything again. What a shame, but. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, can't hear out of my left ear that well. It's very strange. Hopefully, 
by next week, this will be done with. I will have full hearing in both of my ears. I will not be scared to put my AirPods in. That, that would be a plus. We'll, we'll try and work that out. So we're a little bit um, lacking in energy, but we will get through this. And uh, for this edition, we thought we'd do something different for a mid-season F1 review. Yeah. Welcome to our edition of Buy or Sell. Now, me and RJ have beat our heads together and come up with some interesting statements in regards to the 2023 season in general. And we will have a little back and forth between ourselves and ask whether we buy or sell the following statement. Now, as RJ quite rightly put as a disclaimer in our notes, these statements do not necessarily reflect the views of our panelists themselves. Um, we'll tell you that we'll tell you our own thoughts on that later. Uh, but uh, it's it's going to be a fun hour or so where we go back and forth on some key statements over the course of the 2023 season. So far before the real season gets underway again this weekend at Zandvoort for the Dutch Grand Prix, Max Verstappen with a chance to make history to tie Max tie Max no to tie Sebastian Vettel's nine race winning Hello. streak record. Um, we'll have to wait and see if that holds up. But uh, places you can find us real quick before we get into that, uh, we're on we're on. Uh, Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. If you want to find our personal handles, you can at Dre underscore WTF1 and at RJ O'Connell. Our website is motorsport101.com. If you want some extra thoughts on MotoGP's Austrian Grand Prix weekend, uh, my DRR on that episode went up today. Um, some good thoughts on Pekka Banyaya and why I think the world champion might actually be not getting the respect he deserves because he completely dominated the Austrian Grand Prix weekend. Um, laid waste to the field on that one. Johan Zarco's big move to LCR Honda was officially announced as well, so some thoughts from me on that one. And Judge Dredd is back talking about Jorge Martin's attempts to play bowling. It's a fun time. So do check that out if you haven't already. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our episodes normally, but it's only $1 for the rest of this month. So this is the, the, the got a, a week and change left on that, on often that offer. So please do support if you want to can already. And there's no better time for it. And of course, if you can get into supporters club of our Discord server, you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. If you back us at the ten dollar level, and that includes Jason. So, hi, Jason. Hope you enjoyed the show, buddy. Thanks for listening in as ever. But uh, without further ado, let's get into buy or sell the F1 2023 mid-season review. I pitched the idea of a mid-season Formula One review, but if we did in our usual format, all we'd be doing is talking about, well, Red Bull is flattening everybody. There's no hope for the rest of the field. It's just a matter of how much we're going to run up the score. So I decided, why well, not switch it up a bit? I've come hmm. up, and Dre's come up, with a number of statements, and we're going to either buy or sell. We're going to say true or false, either one of these, uh, to see if we agree or disagree. These are statements based on what we already know from this season, what we could know in the in the near future. Uh, so let's just jump into it, and we'll start with a Red Bull-related statement. If you're a fan of Formula One, you should be rooting for Red Bull to run the table and win every race this season, because it's unlikely you'll ever see a team this dominant in a season again. Ooh. 
don't know how I feel about that one. Like, I, 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 I've heard this come up on my own day jobs podcast, the Hot Takes Wednesday podcast, which you can listen into over there on WTF1.com. Um, I get the argument, but, you know, this is something we've never seen before. And, you know, we could... It's a bit like it's a bit like in baseball when you're watching potentially a perfect game or a 300 in a game of bowling potentially, you know, where mm. it's like, okay, at a certain point, you kind of stop rooting for your own success and you kind of hope the other guy gets it to a degree because that's cool. And yeah, like I, I can see the argument there. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you for free, like I jumped on the 2007 Patriots bandwagon for no other reason other than I wanted to see a perfect season. So I feel you on your David Tyree related frustrations. <laughs> you had to go there because my brother ended up, me and my brother was watching a video earlier today from NFL films, the top 10 most devastating losses. And number one was that Super Bowl with David Tyree uh, in the helmet uh, catch. Yeah. So I know exactly how that feels. Um, look, I'm never going to actively root for Red Bull normally, but I've, I know enough about how F1's sausage is made that dominance is kind of the norm in how this sport gets down. Obviously not to this kind of degree normally, but I'm okay with that, so to speak. And for me, why not at this point? Like... But both titles are already wrapped up. Red Bull is going to walk away with the drivers and the constructors. It's a matter of how early do they win it more than anything else. Sod it. Why not just have them run the table at this point just to say it's never been done and it may never happen again. The perfect season has never been done in F1. The clear, the nearest we got was what? McLaren in 88? McLaren in 88. And all it took was one wacky race where... Ayrton Senna had in the bag only to trip up over the Williams of substitute driver Jean-Louis Slesher to ruin the whole thing, giving us a Ferrari 1-2 at their home Grand Prix in Monza. I think the nearest you've come in recent times was, I think, 2016 Mercedes, when I think they won 19 out of 21 that year, um, which is a remarkable feat in its own right, given the season's bigger now than it was back in the 80s, certainly. Um yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to buy on on this statement. I, I I look, we have nothing else to play for here. We might as well get a record broken. If we're going to sit through eight months of Formula One with a team completely dominating, go all the way with it. Fuck it, bye. <laughs> we just went through like three three four weeks of like everybody moaning like, oh, summer breaks so long, and everybody's excited to come back, uh, and they know what's going to come around the bet. I oh. I buy like. I would be fascinated to see it, but I'm selling the likelihood of this actually happening because there are so many pitfalls. Like, I have a match for Sapp and had a perfect season. Like, this is as close to perfect as we're going to get, but I feel like at some point, a component on a car is going to break. He's going to get caught up in somebody's accident through no fault of his own. Or, you know, he could potentially be part for speeding in his Aston Martin Valkyrie. Well, maybe not. <laughs> yes, uh, 74 miles an hour is ill-advised on a public street in Aston Martin Valkyrie. Dude, 74 um, miles an hour on like your typical Massachusetts like freeway, that's just like you're holding up the left lane, buddy. 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, again, that was glorious driving there for you. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I still think there's a reasonable chance this happens. I think the bigger issue for me is that something could easily happen to Max. The issue I have is that Sergio Perez is not a reliable enough safety net for me in current circumstances for me to think that if something does happen to Max, that Checo won't be able to clean up the mess. That's what worries me. Um, is, that, is that if something were to happen to Max or he's not in contention for a race, would Checo be good enough to be able to finish in second every weekend to back him up? And as we this season has proven, if you take Perez even the slightest bit out of his comfort zone, he struggles, and that's a problem. So I, I still I'm still gonna buy on this, but it's with an asterisk. I, I would say buyer beware because uh, there's still a lot of ways this can go wrong. This is a high risk investment. Oh yeah, like there's only one way this goes right. Well, there's only there's only a few ways this goes right. But there's very, very, very many more ways this goes wrong. So uh, this is a high-risk investment, but I would still say bye. I would also like to take this opportunity to congratulate the undefeated mob for winning the Slam Ball Season sits playoffs. 18-0 record, perfect throughout the regular season and playoffs. Uh, that is my inspiration. Who knows? Maybe I could see two perfect seasons of equal magnitude in my lifetime in the same year. Um, I'm not going to do a statement about the Red Bull's second seat, so I want to come up with something uh, for another Red Bull-owned team. Whether or not he wins the Super Formula Championship in October, Liam Lawson has done enough and will be Yuki Tsunoda's new teammate at whatever we're calling AlphaTauri next year. This statement is twofold. Uh, this, this is a tricky one for me, right? Because... Liam Lawson has been good enough to be in an F1 seat for a year and a half, in my opinion now. Like, yeah. like I think he's been F1 quality for a little while. He's <laughs> talented. He's versatile. He knows what he's doing. Um, he can win in anything you put him in right now. He's good enough. Give him the seat. However, now they've put Daniel Ricciardo in, and the team is... And, the Red Bull umbrella has constantly made statements about that. Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo is going for that Red Bull seat in 2025. He's made that his aim. He wants to bring the band back together. He's okay with being a number two driver now in a top team at this point in his career. I think they've made so many statements along those lines since coming back and that they've not exactly been the most endorsing of Sergio Perez this season, but I'm going to sell on this because I just think that Lawson's not the sexy pick anymore. And that's the problem. I don't think he's ever been the sexy pick for an Alpha Tauri slash Red Bull seat because he's been there reserved for two years now. And they still haven't, like, last year it was Colton Herter. This year it's Daniel Ricciardo jumping the queue. So it's like, uh, it feels to me like they've put Lawson in there because they they treat Super Formula like they're finishing school, like like the, which like they the, have, which yeah, they, they have with, with Pierre, Pierre Gasly, Gasly. and yeah. they were going to do it with Dan Tickham until well, and they tried to do it with Pato Award until well. I sense a pattern emerging here, but with all that in mind, I'm going to sell 
on this one. Um, I just feel like if Red Bull truly believed in Liam Lawson, they would have put him in the seat by now already. If he feels more like a proper reserve than he ever does a guy that could have a successful F1 career. I buy it. Daniel, uh, look, Daniel Ricardo at his age, he'll be 35 next year. I don't think spending another year at Fienza, Bulls Racing, Alfatari, Toro Rosso, whatever we're calling it next year is his benefit, even if he does want a Red Bull seat in the near future. I think for Ricardo, it's got to be Red Bull or Bus next year. And if you're looking at who's available on the table, Liam Lawson's your guy. You know, if you weren't convinced that he was the guy in Formula 2, you'd have to be convinced that after a three-win rookie season in Super Formula, which never, it rarely ever happens. The only one who's ever done this was a Schumacher. You'll be surprised which one it was. <laughs> he, he's doing this against top-of-the-line professionals in an environment that's closer to Formula 1. I think Liam Lawson is your guy to build around at Bulls Racing. If you if you don't know if Yuki Tsunoda is going to be within the fold in the next couple of years because Honda's changing manufacturer allegiances, do you think he's going to be, do you think Yuki's going to be at this team next year? I think so. I, I think Tsunoda stays no matter what. I think they'll give Perez the rest of his contract. And I don't think that, like, I don't think you bring back Daniel Ricciardo just to do 10 Grand, like, two 10, 11 Grand Prix and just say, oh, thanks for coming back for the rest of the season, Daniel. Off you go. Back back to being a broadcaster and doing watch-alongs with, with Bojack Horseman. I, I, just, I, I just don't see the point in that. If, if Daniel knew what that was going to be going in, I don't think he would have agreed to come back so quickly. No, he would have, he would have wanted to come back for a shot at like a top seat at Ripple, which is why I think, you know, 2024 has got to be it. I think Daniel can afford to wait another year if the opportunity really is there. And if he truly believes he's got a shot at getting back into Ripple for 2025, he'll wait the extra year. And if that happens... Sorry, Lawson, there's no room at the inn for you. Um, so I'm going to sell on this. Dre, I understand you have a statement related to the hottest non-Red Bull team in the paddock. Um, yeah, Oscar Piastri's rise to solid midfielder and a, a podium challenger has become overrated. Hmm. It was a tough start to the year for Oscar Piastri, but I think we can all agree that it wasn't necessarily his fault. Like, Red Bull, McLaren started the year with an absolutely garbage car. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. And if you look at the head-to-head results over the course of the full season, Lando Norris has comprehensively been the better driver, but now that they are in a position where they can score points on the regular, we hope, we hope that they're not going to fall off now that the summer break is over. Oscar Piastri has been able to run right with Landon Norris, if not ahead of him most times. I'm going to sell. I think Oscar Piastri is going to be a problem for Lando Norris's value on the free agent market because we know Lando's coming up to the end of his contract at McLaren, and he's in a very difficult position. He's in a similar position to what Matt Sabin was in a few years ago. Do you want to stay loyal to this McLaren team? Not sure if they are ever going to ascend beyond the level of what they are now. Or do you 
try the open market with a team like a Mercedes, a Ferrari, Audi, etc. And if Norris is not decisively the number one driver anymore, that might give some teams pause. Where does Norris go? Like, because I like Norris is good, but he's messed around with Red Bull because Red Bull has been interested in signing Lando Norris in the past. They were it's interested in they were interested in kicking Brendan Hartley to the curb after a handful of races to put Lando Norris in the car. Yeah, exactly. Like Red Bull's always been high on Norris, but. I think they're going to give Perez the rest of his contract first. So that would be at least another year. And Norris is tied down till 2025 anyway. He's got two more, he's got two and a half more years left on his McLaren contract. And the way I see it, like, when was the last time people were this excited about a driver who is 9 3 down in races head to head against Norris? It's funny how, how perception is like nine tenths of the law in this game when it comes to rookie drivers. I'm going to buy on this just a little bit. I mean, this is, this is a close one for me because, like, people need to chill on Oscar just a little bit. Like, I say this because he was kind of in, for me, he, he kind of got a free pass for this season because McLaren started out the year so terribly. That right. probably helped him out. And now he's gotten the upgrade package. He can he's proven he can run reasonably close to Norris um, on a couple of occasions. The way the sprint was in Belgium was excellent. Silverstone was the one that really leaps off the page to me. Um, Hungary, his tire wear wasn't great, and even before even before he had the Perez damage from the from the incident he had with him, I think people need to need to calm down just a little bit on Piastri. I, like don't get me wrong, he is exactly what McLaren needs right now. They need a second driver. Whoop! Sort of my cough sweet there by accident, <laughs> but they need a second driver who is reliable, consistent, and can bring the car home in the points. They've got that. But if we're evaluating drivers in terms of their overall ability. How long do you give Piastri a pass before you say, well, you should be giving Norris more of a fight week to week? How long do you give him on that before that sort of rookie expectation goes away and you now start looking at Piastri like a serious contender down there? Because that's because Norris has had that for me. Norris has been that guy for a good two or three years already. Um, and I wonder... Like if we're evaluating Piastri as a rookie, he's been very, very good. If we're evaluating him as a, you know, pseudo elite level driver, like like a, like a Dragonite in Pokemon or a Salamence or a Metagross, then I think he's been a little underwhelming so far because I think you've got to start beating dudes like Norris eventually. So I would say very partially a buy on this, but that's mostly down to the hype people have over him more than I think people just get very excited about a young, fresh-faced, polite Australian fella. <laughs> yeah. No, I I get it. I think I think the training wheels are going to come off for Piastri sometime in the middle of the second season, but I like what I've seen since the upgrade package has come on. Uh, the points are 69 Norris, 34 Piastri. That's, that's, nice. be- that's a better balance than what they've gotten for most weekends out of the last two years of Daniel Ricciardo, one weekend at Mons excluded. He's doing the job, and Piastri, like Norris, has got the pedigree. 
F3 champion as a rookie, F2 champion as a rookie. I know those were weird years, but he's still got he's still got the right stuff. And it'll be interesting to see how this develops over the course of the season. Um, and Dre, might as well get to your next uh, McLaren-related talking point. Sure. Um, what did I put it now on this list? Um, yes, here we are. Um, yeah, McLaren is the greatest threat to Red Bull's undefeated season. Oh, that's for sure true. I am. I am buying this. I am put. I'm put. I'm emptying my wallet on this. <laughs> like, I'm also going to buy on this one because I think Lando Norris has been excellent um, since. Post-upgrade, he's been probably the second-best driver in Formula 1. Um, and I, I think Norris is setting himself up to win a Grand Prix later on this year if, if, if Max falters. Um, I think he's looking good for that. I think the Remember, obvious... Remember, Lando, you know, when they tell you to switch over to wets, take the advice. Yeah, listen in, you big man. Have, you don't have to play hero ball. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say here is that I think the other major threat on that is um, Mercedes. Uh, but Mercedes, I think, are like the more consistent third best team right now. And I think that ultimate lack of upside, because we get it from Mercedes occasionally, like Spain, where they dominated second and third and, you know, like that sort of weekend. But I think Mercs are more the number three team at the moment. Not by a huge margin compared to McLaren, but I think think they're still scoring points reasonably well. Hamilton, I think, has been excellent all season long. But I think Norris has got the most upside of anyone left on the grid, not in a Red Bull at the moment. So I would say I would buy this at the moment. Yeah, I like what I've seen out of a variety of circuits and in particular some of the high speed, high efficiency tracks like Red Bull Ring, like Silverstone. We got a couple of those coming up. We got Monza, of course. We got, would you consider Suzuka to be kind because I know it's a downforce track through a lot of it, but there are also like a lot of high speed stuff. You got both races in the United States. Who knows how those are going to turn out? McLaren, assuming they don't slip up somewhere in their development, to me, have the best chance of ending the streak uh, between any one of their drivers, I feel. Uh, Those opportunities, though, they are not going to come easy. And if McLaren feels like they're in a position to win, they cannot afford to take their foot off the gas and soft pedal it. Because I can remember Williams was in a position to take wins off of Mercedes, but they played it very conservative knowing that they probably could have won races anyway. Yeah, I think that's absolutely all valid. I think that's absolutely fair. Um, yeah, I think McLaren has got the ability to give Red Bull something to think about, especially in terms of qualifying as well, because that's where Red Bull are compromising at the moment. And if they, could, if they can dictate the terms of engagement, that might have to make Red Bull sweat a little bit more, and that could be interesting because Max hasn't had to come back very often um, in this season so far as well. That's another factor you may have to take on, take on board as well. So overall, I'm buying this. All right. We'll go back towards back further in the grid. By matching the form of Valtteri Bottas, Zhou Guan Yu has done enough to warrant a third season. That 
Sauber. Let's call them Sauber. <laughs> They're not going to be Alfa Romeo. We know that sponsorship is going to Haas. They're going to be Sauber, and Joe Guan Yu has done enough to warrant a third season there. I joke that, like, Alfa Romeo are the participation trophy winners of uh, of, of the 2023 They're season so far. They've kind of been there. Like, they've not been particularly dreadful. Like, and like their best result was the opening round of the year when Valtteri Bottas finished eighth in Bahrain. Like, that's where the majority of their points have come from. Um, Joe is definitely closer to Valtteri, is what I would say. Yeah. Um, and by that logic, given that Bottas has proven that if the car is good, he can score well, sure, I'm bu- I'll buy it. Give him a third season. They've got no reason not to, really. I can't think of a real valid reason to move him on for Theo Porsche. Well... It's it's funny because like, and we've got supporters who are high on Teo Porsche and maybe should have been informal on already. But it's also weird because like, yes, he's leading the championship, and yes, he's a boring third year fun ruiner in the Formula Two series. But you gotta remember, he's young, he's still younger than every other Formula One driver on the grid right now, and would probably still be the youngest driver in the sport if he gets called up next year. Probably to replace Valtteri Bottas. You never know. Yeah, it's like, like I like Porsche. Porsche should be dominating Formula Two right now, and he's not. Like he is a, a very, very highly talented and gifted athlete, and he should be running this field over if he's half the talent we think he is, and he's not. And like he's he's fighting what I like to call the uh, new the new and improved Federic Vesti. Um, and I umu that boy Nysa Wassa in that freeway title fight at the moment. I think Victor Martins has also been very solid this season as well. Yeah, from- he's moved up to fifth. I, I don't know what happened with Jack Dewan. Jack Dewan, remember, was being shopped around as a Formula 1 contender this year at a factory team, and he's only fourth in the table. It's still close. There's six races left in the season, and the Long, long break between Monza and Gas Marina is doing none of these drivers any favors whatsoever in terms of their future ambitions. Right. So for me, overall, with all of that in mind, and like, like it's hard to really get a read on Alfa Romeo for that very reason because the car is just so poor that it's kind of hard to get a read on, on how much their drivers have an influence in it. But why not give Joe a third year? I don't see any reason. Like, there's no big obvious reason to give Porsche the seat besides he's Theo Porsche. He's young and he's gifted, right? You know, and for I, me, that's not enough of a reason. So for me, yeah, I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah. Give, give Joe a third year. Why not? I, yeah, I, I, I try. I, I want to like Joe because he's likable. If people talk to him, they'll give you good answers. I want to fight off this uh, the stereotype that Asian drivers can only get into Formula One with someone else's money. Joe's yeah. been very good, and Valtteri Bottas is no slouch. Like people are now starting to realize that Valtteri Bottas at Mercedes was not as bad as people thought, and Joe Guan Yu has done well enough to match him in equal equipment and just society. He would be in an Alfa Romeo seat, Sauber seat, 
whatever we're calling them next year. Salver with Audi Technologies. I'm buying it. So, I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> The team with the greatest upside in the Formula One paddock, pound for pound, right now, is Williams Racing. Bye. I, 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 I'll, I'll cut to the chase. Bye. I think James Vowles has been team principal of the year. I think Vowles has done a fantastic job at Grove so far. Um, I know people that work for that team. They gush over... The speeches he lays out, the organization he's done, the strategy he's gone in with at that team where he's gone in and deliberately been like, okay, I'm going to push this system till it breaks. He's been remarkably honest with everybody saying, look, some of our gear is 20 years old and 20 years out of date. This is what I had at Mercedes. This is what we had in order to be able to win. Here's what we're going to do to make improvements. And the car is better. The car is definitely better than what it was. You've got to remember, we're talking about a team that has been bottom of the Constructors' Championship four out of the last five years. Yeah. We were worried that they were not just going to – the family was not just going to sell the team, but the team, as we know, was not going to exist at all. Exactly. So – for this to for, for like for Williams to be running seventh right now, and Alex Albon's been one of the one of the drivers of the year so far. Um, for me, sure. But I I look at all the other teams in the paddock and I go, this is the team that's got the most potential to get up the field again and to be a threat. Like maybe Aston Martin, but you could argue they've already achieved and maybe peaked or plateaued already with you know, you know. Dan Fallows and what they've done with that team over the course of this season so far, because it already looks like they've slipped a little bit since that initial um, car launch in the first place. So uh, right now, given that Alex Albon went into this year saying, we just hope we're a better last compared to last year, and the fact they're running seventh right now, oh yeah, James Vowles has been outstanding at Williams so far this season. Seventh would be absolutely priceless for Williams right now. So, yeah, bye, 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 100%. It would be huge. And I love the potential at Williams. I'm going to sell that they have the most potential because Aston Martin still has the pending deal with Honda coming up. There is potential for them to jump stratospherically up from third on the grid to potential top two and battling for championships. And then, of course, there's the Sauber deal with Audi. Who knows if that's going to work out, but you can never rule out the potential. But I don't think they have the outright most potential. I think their upside is still limited unless they get some sort of new like technical arrangement going. They're, they're still a Mercedes customer team. They still have those dated resources that they have, but they are still on a great, great upward trajectory. Alex Albon has been fantastic. It's crazy to think that going into this year, we think that like if Logan Sargent just runs a, runs Albon a little bit closer than Nicholas Latifi did the last two years, it'd be great. And now here we are, we're more than halfway into a season. We're thinking, uh, is Logan Sargent going to keep his seat next year? It's a harsh world because now we know what that car can do. 
we've now seen what Alex Albon can do with that car in the right hand. And people are going to immediately raise their expectations for Logan Sargent by comparison. If this team was still stone dead last, Logan Sargent wouldn't be drawing the criticism that he that he's gotten so far this year. It's just because Albon's gotten it into the top eight on multiple occasions this season. And That's it could not, be more. I remember yeah. Australia. Yeah, he was like Albon was running sick when he spun out. That could have been that could have been what ten points. That could have put like that could have put them points. way clear yeah. of Haas, Alfa Romeo, Alfatari. This is tough because like I I feel like I've been there for every step of the Logan Sargent journey before he got to Formula One to begin with. Uh, but it's going to be very tougher to keep that seat, especially if a certain Spanish driver from another championship really does have something lined up, something cooking to get himself on a Formula One paddock. Oh no, not the like not 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 the Oriol Servia wagon. Uh no, I was I was thinking of Antonio Garcia. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be a weird switch from him to go from Corvette Racing to Williams at this late stage in his career, but you never know. It's it's Alex Pillow that we're talking about. We're, we're not going to be glib with you forever. <laughs> we can't be. Yeah, I mean, it's a it would be a punt, and I'm not sure if Pillow would take on a team that's you know, a project um, still, I think at this stage. Yeah, he but, already, he, to be fair, he already rebuked the services of a team that we would consider a project in oh, the yeah. series that he races in. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure sacrificing everything and burning two different teams, Bridges and IndyCars for the sake of a Williams F1 seat is necessarily the right move, but Hey, we've seen stranger things happen in IndyCar and F1 recently. Ask Marshall Pruitt, who is currently chugging Pepto-Bismol by the gallon. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, all right, so we have a couple of questions related to the same constructor. A sample statements, I should... These aren't questions. Okay. I'll take your one first, RJ. This one says... This time next year, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon will get their salaries paid through Michael Andretti instead of Renault. I'm going to sell on it being next year, but the more I think about it, because you brought this up a couple episodes ago, right? The possibility Mm. that Alpine's in disarray. We know this. They're the most in disarray, solidly midfield team that should be upper midfield, if not challenging for wins and championship regularly in the sport. There's no question about that. They have half the points in the clear right now with like a, with like half a season's head start. Right. But the more I think about it, the more I think maybe not next year, but 2025 is when I'm going to start to think is Renault going to sell Alpine to Andretti Autosport, where Cadillac, their prospective technical partners, are already working with Renault on some sort of badge-engineered power unit. It would be a seamless transition. It would it would solve a lot of problems. Michael Andretti can get into Formula One like he's always wanted. Formula One management can keep the pot small for for their for their little exclusive club. 
and you know it would still it would give you another manufacturer on the grid in Cadillac through bad generic engineering with Renault. Yeah, uh, it's almost like too convenient a marriage if this all would play out the way that you said it would, RJ. It's like it's it's it would be it would be the win win for all parties. Michael gets his team. Renault gets another get out of jail free card for a team they've already sold a quarter of in in recent weeks. Um, and, you know, we all know that Renault's never been afraid to pull the plug on a project if they feel like they're not going to get a return on their investment. Um, we are and, all in on the A424, baby. We're yeah. going to prove the Mecha Chrome haters wrong. Indeed. Um, and Michael has been prepared to potentially buy a team before he tried to buy Alfa Romeo three years ago. That didn't work out over the politics of the deal and who had who had the clout to make key decisions. I still was remember re- that. Like I was expecting Colton Herta to be in an F1 car and FP1 that weekend. And then it was scrapped. Yeah, it all just uh, fell apart at the last minute. Um, yeah, like, I'm going to sell on this one as my overall impression. Mm. Like, don't get me wrong. It's it's almost too convenient a marriage at this point. The only reason why I'm saying sell here is that Bruno Faman, who is now interim team principal after Otmar Snathnauer was not was totally not fired um and Anan Pamain was totally not fired um he mentions the, the word project all the time I, I remember my colleagues at the race made a video where he mentioned the word project 16 times in the space of his press conference and an interview with the written media afterwards. They are obsessed with this project, whatever the fuck they want this overall arcing objective to be. That doesn't sound like a team that's going to pull the plug in the next two years. That's the general impression that I get on this. Um, It would be quite the U-turn for Alpine to suddenly say, yeah, we're selling up. We, 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 We give... Um, a, lot, a lot of crazy stuff can happen. I remember another French manufacturer had a brand new car ready to go, boots on the ground testing. And then during the middle of that testing program, Peugeot announced that they were pulling out of the 2012 FI World Endurance Championship before it had ever launched. Yeah, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be the first time it's happened out of a French manufacturer in a major no. series. Yeah, and, and, I think, and I think remember Renault probably had a had a long term game plan to stick around up until about uh, late summer, early autumn, two thousand nine. Now we're not saying that like Alpine has a race fixing scandal that's been brewing in the background, ready to explode out of nowhere, but like. I've heard the project to me sounds a lot like the five-year plan, the hundred race plan that everybody has taken behind the woodshed and flogged repeatedly over the stage. I want to know what's going to be different this time. Well, it, it doesn't sound like anything different to me. That's the impression that I get. Again, I don't know how much of that was Bruno Faman being flustered the fact that, you know, decisions have been made to just cull the senior management and Alpine entirely halfway yeah. through this season. It's a bad spot. But, like, the math isn't mathing. That's the way I look at it. Like, why would, if your project is this 
aspirational. Why would you sell a quarter of your team now? Like, I, I, that is what I find weird, that, you know, you gave Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney, and, you know, Michael B. Jordan the, um, you know, a quarter of the team alongside this consortium. Um, for, to, you know, that's to raise money. You've ra- you raised $200 million out of that. Um, <clears throat> so... That doesn't again. That doesn't sound like a team that's going to completely pull the plug because what what are you raising that money for? They said they were going to use it to spend it on infrastructure and an upgrade to their facilities. So that sounds like a team that's pushing on. I just don't know what's going on with that structure and how that place is being managed. Because I mean, Lauren Rossi was not well liked from the overall impression that I have. Dunning-Kruger syndrome. Dunning-Kruger syndrome. Alan <laughs> Prost hit us with Dunning-Kruger syndrome. I'm like, Alan Prost, who, who, by the way, has, has largely been seen as a guy that has overseen two failed Formula One teams during his time as owner of Prost GP and his time as Renault team principal himself. Yeah. <sighs> so... I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I can't quite get there on a sell yet. I would say four or five years down the road, they sell up. Just not now. Hmm. On a related note, this is one from you, Dre. Uh, this is something that really speaks to me. <laughs> Esteban Ocon should be nets in line for a top seat in the Formula One grid. <sighs> this is a tricky one. Because for me, Ocon, Ocon had a bit of a test a couple of years ago when Fernando Alonso joined the Alpine team. Oh, yeah. First year, you could barely split them. Very, very evenly matched. Second year, Fernando was a little bit better, is what I would say. That's the sort of driver Ocon probably needs to be matching, if not be very close to, if we're talking about him in top-level machinery. I honestly thought he'd do a better job of handling Pierre Gasly so far this season, and he hasn't. I look but- at the numbers, right? Points splits <laughs> 35 to 22, qualifying form sits to sits, race finishes are 5 to 4 in favor of Ocon. Like, it's good. And Pierre Gasly is no slouch behind the wheel himself. If, if it were up to me coming up with a question, uh, you know, a statement of, of would have been really spicy to say, you know, have we considered that the drivers are really the problem at Alpine? And I would have sold on that immediately because I don't believe that's true. It would just be something I would throw out as like a hypothetical. But to me, I love me some Esteban Ocon, but I almost feel like he's in a position now where like he could, if Alpine really starts to struggle, find himself completely out of the sport by the time his contract's up. I think I think he fulfills his hero's dream and ends up at Ferrari in a couple of years' time mm. to, to take Carlos Sainz's seat. Michael's his hero. Yeah. And I think if Ferrari came knocking, he'd bite their arm off. So if you're, you're that you're in buying. mind, I'm, I'm going to buy it because I think... That is a move that makes a lot of sense. If it, if the rumors are true that Audi are eyeing Carlos Sainz to front their project, which I think would be a solid pick to 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 host their team, um, Sainz has 
one of the better midfielders in F1 when he was coming up through the ranks. Yeah, people um, forget that like before Oscar Piastri had this hot surge, the last person to really push Lando Norris week in and week out was Carlos Sainz. Yeah, it was Carlos Sainz. And I think Carlos Sainz is a, is a very good driver. I don't think he's a great driver. But I think that I think if Audi wants to build their project around him, I think that's a good place to start. Um, a driver that they could potentially get, who's a good mix of experienced and talented, still a reasonable age, I think, at 27. That's a guy that you could build around in his early 30s to spearhead your project. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And if there is a hole at Ferrari, I think either Ocon or Norris takes it, and I don't think Norris will move, will pack up and move his shit to Italy. I, I just can't get there on that. I think I think Norris has got too many vested interests um, in the UK, i.e. being Formula One's leader of the sidemen. Um, so um, for me, yeah, I, 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 think, I think I'm going to buy this as Ocon to Ferrari in a couple of years' time. I'm going to buy it but I'm going to put it on another credit card. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting this on the card that I use for all my important purchases. I'm just going to put it on the credit card that I use for my side purchases. To be certain, Esteban Ocon has been good enough, in my opinion, to be a, to be a driver at an elite team competing for victories. He's a Formula One race winner. He has a pedigree of a junior Formula champion many, many years ago. And the reality is Alpine should be fighting for wins and championships with Esteban Ocon as a key contributor to that. And he does have the team's one podium finish this season. I would love to see Esteban Ocon get an opportunity at Ferrari. I just think that at some point, Lewis Hamilton is going to stop racing. And I think Mercedes are going to want somebody else. I think Red Bull are going to make a switch in their driver, in their driver lineup. If not this year, then and the next. Esteban Ocon's not the right fit there. I think he'll end up higher on the grid, but it would probably be as like the second biggest move of the offseason if it happens. I think with how patriotic it is, with how he is in general, Sir Jim Ratcliffe will give his other owner, Toto Wolf, a big old phone call and a blank check and said, and say, bring me Lando Norris. I don't care how much it will take. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like Esteban would would not be like nets in line, but he'll be nets after nets in line. That's fair. Um, on a related note, Carlos Sainz should thank his lucky stars for Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll. Otherwise, he would be far and away the biggest disappointment in a top team this year? Ooh. Um, have we forgotten about George Russell this season? Yeah, that's what I, this is a statement that I've seen coming around in terms of like podium scored this season. And for me, this is a hard sell because like Carlos Sainz Jr.'s point split is 92 to Leclerc's 99. And also, the problem at, Mc at Ferrari has never been the drivers the last couple of years. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Carlos Sainz is an interesting case. Like, 
He's only finished outside of the points twice this year. I think Sainz has been consistently good. I just don't think he's been outstanding, and I think that's the problem. The, all the upside in that Ferrari team this year has come from Charles Leclerc. He's had, he's had Leclerc's had three podiums for Ferrari this year. He should have easily had more, at least Bahrain. Um, you know that was one where he was running third comfortably until his electronics died. Um, you know, there's been the usual haunts in here and there as well. Um, so I think with that We're in checking. mind, yeah, I think we are checking, etc. And I think with that in mind, I think it's made Carlos Sainz look a little bit weaker than his actual season has been. Like, I think, I think Sainz has been fine. I don't think he's been outright bad by any stretch of the imagination. I just think he's a fine number two piece in that team. And I think Leclerc is a stronger Ferrari driver and has been from day one um, since they've been teammates. And it's their third year together. And I would say I would have more question marks about George Russell this season than Carlos Sainz. Yeah. Um, George Russell had a great 2022 season, but it seems like he's stepped back a little bit. Fair play to Lewis Hamilton for raising his game after a off season in 2022 but it's also a little bit of like russell is starting to feel the pressure a little bit he got that first win and now there's the expectations of more and he's been he's been fine he's not been letting the side completely down but you expect more than just one podium this year yeah i i I think he was a little bit unlucky in Australia. I think that was another podium easily that he that he didn't get, um, unfortunately. Um, but I think last year he was genuinely giving Hamilton something to worry about. This year, Hamilton has wrestled control of that team back away from Russell again. Um, I think he's clearly been the much stronger Mercedes driver this year. Hamilton's not finished the race outside of the top eight all season. Wow. And he's had four podium finishes on top of that as well. Um, Russell's had just the one. And there's with Russell, there's big highlights. There's or lowlights, really, with the Canada smash and Monaco, where he blew that podium by, by going down the escape road when it started raining and then clattering into Perez when he rejoined. I think Russell's just been sloppy. For, and for a guy that made his name of being really consistent, that's worrying. And I think Russell's overall pace is outstanding. I think it's 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 very close to Hamilton in terms of raw speed. But I think the bulletproof consistency that made George Russell what he was last year is not there this year, and that is a concern. Um, so for me, I think Signs gets a little bit of a reprieve. Um, with that in mind. So I would say I'd, I'd sell this one, personally. Yeah, I'm selling it too. And like, Audi, Audi wouldn't be sniffing around with Carlos Sainz to be the leader of the team if they didn't think that he had the right stuff to be the number one driver in any other outfit. But the problem is, he's at Ferrari. Charles Leclerc is their guy. Charles Leclerc wants to be the guy that leads Ferrari back to championship glory. We'll see if it plays out. God, I hope it works out sometime soon. If not <laughs> this year, then sometime, anytime in the next three years. I'm begging you, please. Uh, but no, Carlos Sainz has been fine. Don't look at the fact that he hasn't scored a podium and retired from his last race as like an indication that he's been a failure. It's just the fact that, you know, he's been consistently good, but not very good. 
that's fair. I think that's entirely fair. Um, I had a statement lined up for Haas uh, for reasons that will become clear uh, in the coming days and weeks. I've had to scratch this. So, Dre, take my backup statement related to Haas. Nico Hulkenberg is a driver of the year contender. You know, I was very critical when they made this move. And I, again, still think the Mick Schumacher was not as bad as people made him out to be in that second year at Haas. But 100%. Nico Hulkenberg, 100% buying that he has been a driver of the year contender, considering he's not done the full rigors of a full-time Formula 1 season. He's been the driver for higher three years, but for a few <laughs> years now. But stepping back in a full-time seat at his advanced age and generally being the best driver at the team week in and week out, my goodness, it's it's like he had never, ever left. His pace has been outstanding. He's walked into that Haas team and he's out-qualified Kevin Magnussen 9-3 so far this season. That's exceptional. Like, that is incredible pace over a single lap. I mean, Again, he's been held back by Haas's biggest problem, and Haas have openly admitted it. They they overheat their tires. Their car is not conducive towards tire wear whatsoever. They oh, they cook them very easily, and it's compromised their race pace um, almost every weekend so far this year. Um, and look, the, the race head to head is a bit skewed. It says it's six six between the pair of them. I don't need the numbers five, to say that. Five, five in races where they both finish. So it's pretty much even there. But like sometimes the qualifying stats are the more reliable metric when your car is not always capable of scoring points. Right. And in that regard, Nico Hulkenberg has been exceptional. There have been multiple times where after all my skepticism of thinking there's no way he's going to score a podium, there have been multiple cases where I'm thinking, well, actually, maybe, maybe he could pull it off. And then the bottom just falls out, and we're all just like, oh, man. Yeah, I, I think that on the whole, I think that Hulkenberg's pace has been great. Um, I think I, I said it on my WTF1 tier list for the midseason so far. K-Mag's had one top 15 finish since his last point in Miami. That is concerning to me. I, I'm starting to think that Haas might have moved on from the wrong man uh, last year, and that is... And um, I get it, like... <laughs> Like they're they were indebted to Kevin Magnuson because like after 2021 there was no hope. He comes back not expecting to be back in Formula One at all, and immediately puts them back in the points of Bahrain. So I understand that he had gotten like a boatload of good karma that's going to be tough to dissipate. You know, if it if it were me, I was thinking like, man, Kevin Magnuson probably like we're seeing like the last F1 races of him. Now it's looking likely that it may not be the case. We'll hear more about that soon, but, you know, Hulkenberg has been outstanding. They, they cannot keep getting away with bringing in these veteran presents just because they're old and reliable and cheap, and it actually works. Some, one of these days, the anti-youth movement is going to crumble, but it's not coming here because Nico Hulkenberg has been exceptional for us. He has yeah. not let them down. Yep, buying, buying. Hulkenberg's been outstanding. Uh, we were talking about midfield contenders. Fernando Alonso has already scored his last podium of the season. I'm going to sell this one. I, 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 
I think Aston has slipped a little bit since the start of the season where they were clearly the second best team in F1. Fernando Alonso has been so good, I still think he'll get a podium or two between now and the end of the year. That's my general conclusion on that. I think Alonso, for me, would be driver of the year if it wasn't for Verstappen's brilliance. Yeah. I think that that would still be the case even if he never finishes on the podium again. Like, I didn't come into the season expecting wins, and (laughs) now that Aston Martin has slipped, I am absolutely not expecting any wins unless some weird stuff happens in the last few races of the season. But, like, it's going to be tough because, like, You'd have to imagine Mercedes are still solid. McLaren have leapt ahead of them. Ferrari surely can't be as pitiful as they've been some weekends. I don't know, man. I would be pleasantly surprised, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna meekly push this on a Facebook marketplace with the intent to sell. I, I still think there's one more in him. At least one more. I think one or two. I think I think Aston Martin on a good day can still do it. I, although I will say this, Hungary did give me big cause for concern. That yeah, was that, that was, was a- that is Fernando Alonso's home that is it, like we know Spain is his home track. Fernando Alonso uh, uh, partially owns rent on the Hungary historically throughout his career. No matter how bad the car has been. If he can't make a word there, Oh yeah, that that that's the impression that I get anyway. So, yeah, I I, I agree. I feel like I, 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 I I would say this is a very meager buy. Like you know, give me the free trial first um, on this I one. Haggle for it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and negotiate on the price because we Brits love a haggle. But I would still say buy on Fernando Alonso getting at least one more podium between now and the end of the year. Forking off on this. Surely there's no podiums coming Lance Stroll's way, right? Fuck no. <laughs> Not been, he, he might be the worst driver in the field this year, pound for pound. I don't know about that, but yeah, it's not been... It again is a reminder of like, Lance Stroll has the potential to be better than this. But this is all we're getting, and it's frustrating me because... I know he can be better than this, but he doesn't ever apply himself. But that's probably another discussion for another time. Yeah, fair to say. Two more. Right. Dre. Uh, No, for real, the next Lewis Hamilton contract, we swear this time, will be his last. He's a free agent at the end of the season. He is a free agent. We are in, we are now officially in that territory where like all of the silly if, if like you want an exciting silly season, it hinges on Lewis Hamilton finally hanging it up and calling it a career at the end of this season. Like that's where all the movement is going to come from, and it will it will move like a landslide. The twenty twenty six regs are. Three years out, at which time Hamilton will be 41 years old, and he'll have many, many miles on, on, on that tread. That tread will be worn down. But Hamilton is a world-class athlete. I could see him sticking around, but I also feel like Hamilton's done everything bar that eighth championship. 
he could walk away. He could decide on like the Friday of the Dutch Grand Prix to call it a career. Like he'll, if we regard it immediately as like one of the top three drivers of the sport, he doesn't need to keep doing this. I lean towards Sal here for no other reason than every impression that I get is that Lewis is desperate for number eight. He really wants that redemption for 2021. He truly believes he should have won the 2021 title. That would have been number eight. That's the last major counting stat that he hasn't had in his career. That's the one for me that I think leaps off the page as the one major thing that's worth fighting for. And with that in mind, I think he'd owe it to himself to at least see what these 2026 regulations are. Because if he retires beforehand, and he could easily go into his 40s, I have no question about that yeah, whatsoever. Conditioning-wise, all these dudes could race in Formula 1 into their mid-40s. We've seen it with Fernando Alonso. It's just a matter of whether or not you know they want to travel as as much for like 24 weekends a year plus. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I I think that I don't think age is necessarily as big a factor as it used to be mm. with this. Um, and I think if Hamilton wants it, Merck's I, I think he's got a golden handcuff deal at Mercedes. Mercedes will keep him as long as they need because Mercedes is not the juggernaut it is today without him. Yeah, um, and absolutely. Com- commercially, socially. You name it, Hamilton's a transcendent star. He's done so much for that brand, and he's done. They've done so much for him in, in kind. It, it, it works both ways. I think he wants number eight, and I think he will not truly be at peace until he at least sees what the twenty twenty six regulations cook. Because if Mercedes can find their way back up to the front of the field, he's got a golden chance to get number eight, even oh, yeah. at forty one. So with that in mind, I'm going to head up eBay with the 99p minimum bid and sell on that. <laughs> uh, no, I hear you. Like, It's funny. Like, My dad's not the biggest Lewis Hamilton fan, but even he agreed that he didn't agree with how the 2021 finish played out, though. Not to the level of extremity that some disagree how that season played out at the very end. I think Lewis Hamilton is fit enough that uh, of course he can continue racing until he's like, what, 50 years old. I don't think this next contract will be his last. I'm going to sell on that. Okay. Ask me, ask me when we get to 2026. Defo. Yeah. And then um, I don't really have anything on, like, you know, projecting what races are going to be good or not. So I came up with a statement that ties into, like, the overall, like, vibe around the sport. Who cares if Formula One surge fan interest is waning after the DTS boom? Or that American interest seems to have peaked and has plateaued. The sport has survived and thrived through the strength of its hardcore fans in Europe, not its casual supporters, and has done so without any significant presence for many, many years. Formula One doesn't need any of it in the future. (laughs) 
but it wants it, RJ. That's the problem. Um, it's it's so clear and blatant that it wants it. It wants that American golden carrot so hard, and it's it's hard not to ignore that um, with the way F1's twerked for America in the last, God, I want to say half a decade plus, um, especially with its engineered insanity push since then. Um, it really does want a, a, a huge presence in the US. They would not have gone from one Grand Prix to three very quickly if it wasn't for that. They're trying to milk this cash cow for all it's worth, and I think it's going to ultimately put people off. I see what the what the statement is saying here, because you're right. Like Formula One does not need America, and America does not need Formula One. They are fine without each other. Like we know this, NASCAR is still the number one racing series in North America. Um, and even that all it takes a backseat to like. NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, big-time college sports, particularly college football, which is like college football is the needle that is like causing like massive seismic shifts in the college landscape, and all of that takes precedence over NASCAR. NASCAR takes precedence over anything else. Like I can vividly remember times where people were trolling about like, ha ha NASCAR truck series races get better view figures in America than F1 does. This is a relevant sport. You should go back to sticking to turning left for 500 laps at a time. Like I don't want to go back to those days, but it is fascinating to see just like how, you know, people who've gotten into the sport, at like a very unusual time mm. have now tuned out because they realized that like, just like the premier league, most match days are weird, but at the end of the day, it all averages out to Manchester city wins another title. Copy paste Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, formula one, Red Bull slash Mercedes. When we as Americans love the idea that any team can win any given championship, or at least most of them can win any given championship once all is said and done. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the fickleness of American fans who have now realized this is how the sausage of F1 is truly made. Yeah. And they're now turning off after realizing what you mean? You mean not every season's like 2021? Like, no. <laughs> No, it's not. It's like, if anything, they're the outliers. Um, yeah, it's a mechanical sport first. It always has been over here. Um, yeah. NASCAR's been the same way. And like, at, as that peaked in popular in the early 2000s, they realized like, man, we can't have guys running away with championships. We need to have it. We need to have something that's more like the playoffs. And 20 years later, NASCAR is only just now starting to get through its own identity crisis. Yeah we're watching that series transform its own image in front of our very eyes at the moment with the amount of stand-ins and ringers that we've pulled in recent times. It was like Shane Van Gisbergen, Kimui Kobayashi, Jensen That's Button, Button etc. You know, it's, 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 it's been a lot of fun. Dudes. Yeah, you know, it's a shame Indianapolis didn't really work out like that because only SVG really made a big impact by cracking the top 10. But we kind of knew that given that SVG is a freak. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, I, I, could, like, I buy this statement 110%. Like, I, I, I will happily put the mortgage on it. You're absolutely right. F1 
um, F1 wise, like it's never needed the casual American audience to survive. It's always been just fine. We've been through peaks and valleys when it comes to this sport's popularity. We we peaked at, you know in the two thousands when this sport was on free to wear. Um, you know, so yeah, like it doesn't need like. <laughs> It doesn't need like the casual Americans to to start getting on the wagon for for the sport to survive. It's fine. The, the, right now, what they're doing with the US is playing with house money. I just think the Americans think that they have a more important role in this than they actually do. Because let's be real here, it's a European sport, and it always has been in terms of hardcore popularity. Britain, which where I'm sitting in, is one of the most hardcore F1 fan based countries in the world in terms of population for popularity of fans. And that's not going to change anytime soon. Formula One has done a genuinely good job of at least causing a dent in the US market, but it is still so far off where it needs to be. Like, it's it's hovering around NASCAR Xfinity level, which, okay, it's nice, but no one wants to be compared to NASCAR's B-Series. So yeah. Buy a hundred percent. Buy, buy hard. <laughs> you know me as the American in this panel. I'm gonna sell. I, I don't expect Formula One to keep drawing record figures for every United States Grand Prix that airs on free to air ABC, part of the Disney family with ESPN and all that stuff. But I look at I look at how much money that that last television deal was worth between F1 and ESPN. A deal when it was first announced, they pretty much gave it away for peanuts, and now it's like exponentially above that. And I also think of like the Premier League. It is as UK a sport as you can get, but now it has significant like people here in the states. Give a crap about the Premier League. Because whether it's fans. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fans and it's also American people with American money, for better or for worse, impacting the landscape of that league. Yeah, and that's because the Premier League has marketed itself so well in the last two decades in the last two decades that it's now got a huge influence in, in every major TV country in the world. The Prem is untouchable. It half like every other major league in Europe could wish it could pull in the TV revenue that the Premier League does. It smacks the rest of Europe around with its dick. Like like they wish they could have other other leagues that were anywhere near that. Formula One is never going to be that, and that's okay. That's yeah. honestly okay. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would love to see like you know again like big time events. I don't want to go back to the Dark Ages and be buried completely underground. I don't want that. I think a lot of people in Formula One, like, yeah, they would be fine without less of, like, the the crazier casual audiences, I guess. But, like, I want to, I want to come back to a time where I didn't have to struggle just to watch Formula One all the time. You get what I'm saying? Yes. And I don't think we're ever going to go back to these days. But it's so... Just for for that alone, like I don't know. I feel like I feel like this needs to be sold on. Like, 
it. Because I feel like as long as Formula One is under the leadership structure that it is in, they're going to have a vested interest in making sure that if not like up to where Premier League figures are in the United States, like at least like get to where it was at the start of the NBC deal. That wouldn't be a bad place to start. Yeah. And what has happened ever since? (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. That wouldn't be a bad place to start at all. Right, we're just about done here. Um, like I said, I hate how much we agreed on all this stuff, right? Annoyingly, we are quite similar minded sometimes when it comes to reasonableness, but uh, at least we don't know we're not each other's necks over IndyCar for once. That makes a change. Mm. Um, <laughs> Formula One is back this weekend for the Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort. We'll have a, a full breakdown of that. Will Verstappen make history? probably we'll have to wait and see on that one we've also got indycar a gateway this weekend a wwt will alex polo win the title this weekend he's got a reasonable chance of being able to do so will joseph newgarden also complete a clean sweep of all five oval races this season that is porsche penske prototype driver joseph newgarden mm. That'll be fun as well. Keep an eye on for that one coming up as well. Yeah, Joseph having a good one um, on that on that one. So yeah, will Alex Pelot win the title? Keep an eye on that one for next week as well. And mentioned MotoGP in Austria will also be next week on the docket as well. So keep looking forward to that. Until next time, though, I've been Dre Harrison. He's been RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all.